Has the world gone crazy? Life is difficult. When you need help, where do you turn? Welcome to Christian Impact, impacting your life with spiritual truth. I am Dr. Kelly Blanton, and I'm sharing practical truths in the Bible that can truly change your life. Today is January 17th, 2024. We continue our series, Kingdom Legacy, and we are studying the Song of Solomon, Chapter 2, for today. Let's just jump right on in to the reading of the passage. Song of Solomon, chapter 2. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. Like a lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. Like an apple tree among the trees of the woods, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down in his shade with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to his banqueting house. And his banner over me was love. Sustain me with cakes of raisins. Refresh me with apples, for I am lovesick. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the does of the field, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he stands behind our wall. He is looking through the windows, gazing through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said to me, Rise, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth her green figs, and the vines with their tender grapes give a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. O oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rocks, in the secret places of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet, and your face is lovely. Catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He feeds his flocks among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag upon the mountains of Bether. So here you are, continuing with the Song of Solomon in chapter 2. And verse 1 is really a continuation with what we were reading in chapter 1. Now, just as reference, we have to always remember that the verses and the chapter numbers, those were modern add-ins. And I hate to say modern, but I guess if you're looking at 2,000 years of New Testament and 4,000 years of Old Testament type of, it's it's a modern, it's been more recent in the text history, that, but we, we have added those in for our references. The original is just one big Song of Solomon. There is no chapters dividing out. And so, chapter 2, verse 1, is really ending off with the Shulamite speaking. In the end of chapter 1 
she says, Behold, you are handsome, my beloved. You are pleasant. Our bed is green. The beams of our house are cedar. Our rafters are fir. And then she continues speaking, saying, I am the Rose of Sharon and the Lily of the Valleys. Now, I think this is important to sort of stop and make a comment about, even though we're just getting started. So we're going to stop as we get started. Because many times when you hear the statement, the Rose of Sharon, Lily of the Valleys, we always attribute that to being Jesus. Jesus is the Rose of Sharon. Jesus is the Lily of the Valleys. However, that's not what this is here in the scripture. This is the bride saying that she is the Rose of Sharon, that she is the Lily of the Valleys. And even when you look at the passage in, in Hebrew, it's written using the feminine form of I because the bride is speaking. So there's no even arguing it. Well, well I don't like that breakdown. Maybe it should be. No, it's, it's the bride is speaking. It's a feminine form being used here. This is the bride. This is not the bridegroom or Jesus speaking. So Jesus is not the Rose of Sharon. The bride is the Rose of Sharon. And I also want us to note that in saying that, so we have a rose, we have a lily, and then we have valleys. Notice the valleys is plural. There are, there are multiple valleys. Now, what all can this possibly mean? What are we talking about here? The rose of Sharon, the lilies of the valley. You know, uh, the comparison here is the bride's talking, she's comparing herself with a wild rose or lilies. Both of those grow in very hostile environments. And I do want to say, excuse me, um, we've had a really rough week here where I'm at with dust storms and my sinuses and throat is extremely torn up. So I know my voice is not up to normal standards, not that I'm a radio personality, but uh, it, it is a little rough. So forgive me with that. But going back to this, the bride compares herself to wild roses or lilies and these, these grow in very harsh environments. Uh, I live in the Chihuahuan Desert and... If you can get a rose bush started, my wife plants roses. It, we battled about a 50-50 survival rate when she first started, but we've got lots of rose bushes going. Once they get started, they're really hard to get rid of. Uh, you know, someone, if they move into this house that we're in after we're long gone, they can chop them, them rose bushes down, and they're just going to keep coming back and coming back and coming back. They, they Once they get established, they're really hard to get rid of because they, they do well in harsh environments. That's why we, we planted them here in this desert because they do well. They do well in the desert. Matter of fact, in the winter here in the desert, they don't die. They actually explode in growth because it, it's cooler. But lilies are the, are the same way. They, they can handle harsh environments. And it's the lily of the valleys. And valleys can often represent difficult times, difficult cir circumstances of life. And so here we find in, in the midst of difficulties, in those in the valleys of life, we find the bride being the rose, the lily, that, that, that beautiful growth in the midst of a heart's condition. Verse 2 goes on to say, like a lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. So here the, the lily is among thorns. Now, many times people can think of thorns as representative of sin, but I think Jesus summed it up well in the parable of the sower. The thorns were the cares of the world. The thorns were that that choked out the seed, the growth of the seed. They were the cares of this world. 
And I think that's a very appropriate diagnosis by Jesus because here we have the church, his bride, and we are amidst the cares of this world. And they're all around us. And the bride is saying, like this lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. Now, who are these daughters? Well, the, the daughters, we've referenced them in the last chapter one. These are other believers. These are other other children of God, but they have not decided to pursue the passionate, intimate relationship. That's just not for them. And so being a bride in this world with all the cares of this world and having this love for God, um, so is my love among the daughters. Have you ever felt like you get excited for the Lord and you go to church and the other believers around you don't seem to share the same passion? They don't seem to share the same desire to grow. So is your love among the daughters. It shows us also that God's love for us is unique. Yes, God loves all of us, but he loves each of us uniquely. Verse 3 says, like an apple tree among the tree of the woods, so is my beloved among the sons. Now, you know, apple trees were not indigenous to the Holy Land. Now, when I say that, that doesn't mean they didn't know what apples were. They, they knew what apples were. They're not indigenous. In other words, they don't naturally grow in the Holy Land. So if you found an apple tree growing in the Holy Land, it was because somebody put it there on purpose it had been planted there for a reason it's, you may not be expecting to find it so if you were just trampling through some forest in the holy land you would not expect to find an apple tree because it's not something that naturally grows there and yet there is this apple tree it's like whoa there, where did this come from who put this here so is my beloved among the sons you know, when Jesus came, he called himself the Son of Man. You know why? Because he became a man. He became, you know, if, if humankind, if, if we are the sons of God, he became one of us. He became one of the sons. And he and he walked amongst us. And he was like a man. I mean, he's just like a normal man, except for he wasn't a normal man. He was something different. He was like what? He's like the apple tree that you find in the forest. It's a tree, yes, but it's not indigenous. This is something special happened. And so Jesus coming to us is something special. It was something that was planned. Someone greater than the forest planted him there. Verse 3, I sat down in his shade with great delight to sit implies a form of submission and with great delight you're you're happy you're ecstatic to be there you're willingly submitting this isn't a begrudgingly submitting and also again talking about a, a desert um, it's a place to sit in the shade you get away from the heat it is a delight you know, if you stand out in the sun, you get burned. Have you ever been burned by the world? Remember, this is a lily amongst the thorns. These are the cares of the world. And suddenly, you look 
and there's this person among men that's like the apple tree amongst the force. is is a purpose, a, a purpose, destiny. Because Jesus is different, and you want to s- submit into His shade to get away from being burned by the world. And His fruit was sweet to my taste. And you start thinking about fruit. You know, I'm even thinking of the fruit of the spirit: love, joy, peace, patience. But work can also be the 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 the, the product of your hands, the, the work of your hands, the, the things that you're doing. See, the things that Jesus does is sweet, and it's eternal. And before He brought me to His banqueting, verse four, excuse me, He brings me to His banqueting house. So we noticed in chapter one we had the we were receiving the kisses of the bridegroom. And we saw a little bit about the, the banqueting table, but now he's inviting you to the banqueting house. This is the place of the banqueting table. This is the place of deeper intimacy, deeper relationship. You see, you don't get invited to the banqueting house based upon your manipulation or your striving or your, your good works. It's an invitation because it goes on to say, and his banner over me was love. It is his love for us that invites us to have a place with him. A banner is a place of, it symbolizes rule, dominion, reign. Listen, the, the reign of Jesus over you and I is of love. I know there's scriptures talking about the Messiah is going to rule with an iron scepter. And, and, and that's, that's true in his second coming. It's one reason why the Jews missed him the first time. They thought he was coming with that iron scepter. But you see, right now his banner is love. It's not not iron. It's it's of love right now. We're under this time of grace. Verse 5, sustain me with cakes of raisins. Refresh me with apples, for I am lovesick. To sustain means to strengthen you. So the bride is asking to be sustained, to be spiritually nourished, to grow. Now, again, we are interpreting this from the viewpoint of the church and Jesus, the bride and the groom. If you were looking at this as a more literal, these cakes of raisins has got a lot of sexual things to it. Solomon gave away raisin cakes after the temple was made so that the people would go home and, and have children. Um, there's, there's a lot of things to that. But in the context of looking at this is Jesus and the bride or the, the, the church, Jesus and the church or the bride and the groom, and that type of relationship here, and this is sustaining, sustaining, and then we fresh with apples and I'm lovesick. This is, this is the fact that, that, that the Lord is going to supply his church everything they need to be strengthened spiritually, physically, and emotionally. He is going to nourish and strengthen us. So that we can be sustained. Sustained means that we can continue on with what it is he's called us to do. Verse 6, his left hand is under my head. His right hand embraces me. Well, the left hand would, under the head, that speaks of support and security. Again, we're talking about Jesus and the church here. Not a literal marriage consummation. We're not going there. But when we're looking at it from the church in Jesus, Jesus is holding this church and the one that the left hand, the one that's underneath his bride is supporting and providing security. 
if, if a man was doing to grab a hold and dip his wife, his, his bride down, that's the hand that holds and secures her. It provides that security. The right hand, on the other hand, symbolizes compassion and comfort as it embraces. See, this is what Jesus wants to do to us. He wants to provide us with support and security, yet compassion and comfort. Verse 7, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the does of the field, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. Now, this word charge is not a credit card. The I charge you. It's like I promise to you or I commit to you. Um, this promise or this commitment. And it says, daughters of Jerusalem. So he's speaking to other believers, not just to the bride, these are other believers. Now, the gazelle or the doe that's mentioned here, these are a type of deer. They're very fleet footed, they're very fast. They're, they're an animal, they, they get startled very easily. They get distracted very easily and they withdraw. And the, again, these daughters of Jerusalem, these other believers have a tendency to be easily distracted and drawn away from intimacy from the Lord. And it says, do not stir up or awaken your love. See, the bride wants to be free from all earthly interruptions that's going to come between her and the bridegroom. The daughters of Jerusalem will attempt to stir up their love, but they're not ready. They're not ready. They're too distracted by the things of this world, by all those thorns there in the valley. Verse 8 says, The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. See, the bride saying the voice of my beloved, she can hear the bridegroom is beginning to call. And he's leaping upon the mountains. Now, what are mountains? Jesus told us if we had faith of a mustard seed, we could tell the mountain to move. You know, these mountains are the obstacles, those things in life that we have to conquer, to get over. It takes faith. You know, if, 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 if a mountain is some type of obstacle, I guess a, a hill is like a hindrance. It's not as big as that mountain, but it, it's still something we have to deal with. When you listen for the voice of God, when you listen for the voice of Jesus, when you listen for your bridegroom, and you can hear, wait, 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 there's that voice. And you go, look, we find that Jesus, he's leaping on top of our obstacles. He skips through those things that hinders us. In other words, they are not a barrier for him. He just leaps and skips right through the things that, 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 that boggles us. And this is my beloved is like a gazelle or young stag. Behold, he stands behind our wall. He's looking through the windows, gazing through the lattice. Now here the bridegroom is being compared to a gazelle or young stag. But he's not like a gazelle or doe. Those are fast, but they get startled, distracted. This is a gazelle or young stag. In other words, he's fast, he's fleeted, but as a stag, he's looking for the doe. And in the season when the stag looks for the doe, 
Nothing is going to get between him and that doe. They they can you know for for deer hunters you know uh, when 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 a buck's looking for a deer he's in, a, in one sense he's they can say he's almost silly or stupid because he, he he'll run through anything he'll fight anything to get to that doe well Jesus isn't stupid but the picture here is that nothing he's not going to let anything stand between us that's why he's leaping on the mountains and skipping through the hills. He's coming for us. And yet, in the midst of that determination, and quickly, because he's a fast, it's a fast moving animal. He's really fast. And yet, despite all this, he's a gentleman. He doesn't break down our walls. He doesn't kick in the doors like with some wild, wild animal. It has to have us. Instead, it says, notice he stands behind our walls. He looks through the windows. He gazes through the lattice. See how Jesus is a gentleman. He's not going to force us to go with him. But he's going to go right up to the door, right up to the window, and he's going to look in at it because he's, he's longing for us to respond to him. He's longing for us to break down that barrier to be with him. And in verse 10, is in that spot where he's at the lattice or at the wall or at the window. Verse 10, my beloved spoke and said to me, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. See, he, he comes all the way to the spot, and then suddenly we're listening for his voice. And what does he say? Rise up, my love, my fair one, come away. See, the fair one, he's calling you, he's calling you beautiful. He's calling you something you are not. And because he does, you become. I mean, we could be ugly, and if Jesus says we're beautiful, suddenly we are beautiful. Because we are what he says we are. I think that's one thing I get really frustrated with, with the, the sinner and the saint syndrome. There's a segment of Christianity that wants to beat us down that we're all sinners, we're all sinners, we're all sinners. Yes, I understand. I'm not perfect and I have sin. I'm not going against this type of doctrine, but if God says I'm a saint, I need to quit saying I'm a sinner and I need to start pursuing the life of a saint. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm saying I need to pursue the life and the thing that he's called me that I am and quit saying, no, God, you're wrong. I am this. God's not wrong. If God says you are something, then you are and you need to start living like it. Here he's saying we're fair and he wants us to rise up and come away with him. Verse 11, for the winter is past, the rain is gone. Listen, the winter, that's, this is your old life. This is the dead part of your old life. It's gone. The rains, the storms, the things that happen in the winter that destroy and is eerie, that is now all gone. That life is over. Verse 12, the flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come. The voice of the turtle dove is heard on land. Listen, it's time for spring. This is time for new life. Jesus has made you and I new. We are new creations. We have a new life in him. It is time to step forward into that life, into the time of new life, where there's singing and joy. Why? Because that is what he has prepared for us. The sound of the turtle dove, the sound of the spirit speaking you in, in, in the new love language. Verse 13, fig trees put forth her green figs, and the vines with tender grapes give a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, come away. Again, this is a time for fruitfulness. You know, figs, when they first put out fruit, they're different than other fruit. You know, if you cut off an apple and it's green and you let it sit out, it'll ripen. There's a lot of fruit. You can get with 
you know, grapes and plums and strawberries. You know, I can pick a green strawberry, and if I let something along, it'll turn red. Figs are not that way. If you pick a green fig, it stays green. It never ripens up. For a fig to ripen, it must remain connected to the vine. See, we are in a season where fruit is coming and we need to stay connected to the vine so that we can grow into maturity and into the promises that God has. That's why he's saying, rise up, my fair one, and come away. Come away with him to those places. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret place of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. Your voice is sweet. Your face is lovely. Let's break this down a little bit. Of course, we talked a little bit about the dove last time. But then, you know, the dove is also very symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And as the bride of Christ, the believer, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, As spiritual doves, we are hidden in Christ. We're protected from the enemy. We are a new creation of God. And an interesting word, you know, in Ephesians, it says that we are seated in the heavenly places. And this is through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit seats us in the heavenly places. But that word seated can also be translated as nesting. And that's what doves do is they nest. They So we are nesting in the heavenlies. We are to enjoy that access to God's presence. Notice further about this dove in the clefts of the rock. Now, that, that cleft, it's the place in the rock that can be used as a refuge or a hiding place. When Moses was walking with God, he wanted to see God's face. And God told him he couldn't do it, but he told him that he would hide him where? In the cleft. He'd put his hand over him and he'd pass him by. And then he would allow him to see his glory from behind. And so here's the same thing. In the clefts of the rocks, like Moses, we've been put somewhere securely to be protected. He goes on to say, not in the clefts, but in the secret places. You know, Jesus often went off to a quiet or secret place where he could pray and he could get with the Lord. But there's see, there's something special that happens. You know, when it comes to us in the church, there are some secret places. There are some secrets about the kingdom. We have been crucified with Christ. It's one of those secrets. We are dead in Christ. We are alive in Christ. We are quickened and raised in Christ. We are seated with Christ. These are all part of the mystery, the secrets of heaven that have been given to us. And it's from this place that you see the cry, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. You know, Moses wasn't allowed to see the face of God. But there's something about us that we've been given access to God. You know, Philip looked at Jesus and said, show us the Father and it'll be enough. And Jesus looked at Philip and said, have I been with you so long, Philip, you do not recognize me. That's a powerful statement. It's one to meditate on if you don't understand it. Look that up in in, in your Bible. When Philip said, show us the Father, and Jesus said, have I been with you? You don't recognize me. See, you want to see God? We have to see Jesus. Let me hear your voice. See, God wants to put us in this intimate place where he protects us so that we can see his face, so that we can hear his voice. And yes, his voice is sweet, and his face is lovely, because 
the bride is allowed to see things that Moses and those in the Old Testament only dreamed about. Verse 15, let us catch the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vine, for our vines have tender grapes. Now this verse immediately made me think of another verse of the New Testament. Luke 9, 57, 58 uh, says it has... Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Again, this was in reference to following Jesus, and he brought this thing about foxes. Even little foxes have holes. And here, this is, let us catch the little foxes that spoil the vine. I've had many a pastor try to describe this to me when I was younger and in training. It's the little things in your life that can destroy the bigger picture or your bigger dreams. As a young minister, they would try to tell me it's the little foxes that destroy the vine. In other words, there's these ministries, there's these callings, there's these hopes that I have. And if I don't take care of the little pesky things in my life, it would destroy the overall vision. When, the, when that young person, scribe, came to Jesus and said, I'll follow you wherever you go. And he said, foxes have a home. I don't. In other words, you don't you don't understand these little pests that have homes in your life that you have to walk away from. See, God has a destiny. And we have to be willing to Take out those little things in our lives if we're going to pursue him, if we're going to follow him. Of course, in verse 16, the bride says, My beloved is mine and I am his. He feeds his flocks among the lilies. See, this bride is committed to walking with the Lord. She'll take care of those little foxes because she belongs to him and he belongs to her. And he's going to feed his flock among the lilies. You know, Psalm 23, whenever he, it says what? He, he sets a table before our enemies. The lily is in the middle of the thorns in the valley, the cares of life. If we will take care of those little things, that want to take all of our attention away from him. If we will take care of those to make sure that we seek him first to make him ours, he will feed us amidst all the cares of the world. Matthew chapter six talks about that. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things. What are all these things? Those things are the, what do we eat? What do we wear? Where do we go? What do we dress? See, God will take care of all those things, the cares of the world. In the midst of all those, he will take care of us. He will feed us. In the midst of all those things. Verse 17. Until the day breaks and the shadow flees away, turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag upon the mountain of Bether. So here we are. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee away. It reminds me of several sci-fi movies that I watched. Until that day breaks away. What day? The day breaks when we re, when we enter into the new heaven, the new earth. See, there won't be any shadows to flee away because there won't be a sun. 
in the new heaven and new earth because God himself will be our son. There will be no shadows. And so until the day comes when all shadows are gone and we're in this newness, until this day, what do we say? Turn, my beloved, turn, seek him. We should seek him. We should turn towards him. This is what? Be like a gazelle or young stag among the manor of Bether. Bether means deep chasms, separation. We want Jesus to be like that young stag, that gazelle on the mountains that divide us, that separate us from him. And what do we want him to do? We want him to jump it and call us to come away. Think about it. This These end verses is very much the same as the end of Revelation, where it says at the end of Revelation, Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, come. That's how Revelation ends. It doesn't end with us all sitting in heaven and singing Kumbaya. It ends with the church crying out of all these things we just from this prophecy, Come, Lord Jesus, Chapter 2 breaks is until we see that day, until we see the day when you've called us away and there's no more shadows and we're with you, turn to us and come quickly. That's what this is saying. And so with that, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love us. That God, you want us to take our eyes off of the cares of the world around us, God. And we wouldn't be distracted, God, but that we would focus upon you, Lord. The God that we would chase after your voice, God, chase after the life that you've called us to, God. The Lord, that we would listen for your voice and for that day when you call us and say, come away, come away. So, Lord Jesus, we say, come quickly. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we thank you for listening to this series we're doing. We hope that as we go through the Song of Solomon, you will develop a deeper intimacy with the Lord. You can check out more of our teachings and our ministry at our website, www.christianimpact.net. That's N-E-T, net. And until next time, God bless. Yeah.